morning, church. Yep, you're still waking up. Good morning. It is truly a pleasure to be here this morning, to be able to share with you from the Word of God. Hey, guys, uh, on this last day of the year 2023, and so it is probably my privilege to be the first to wish you a very happy Easter. <laughs> I, I, know I walked in, everybody's going, Happy New Year, and I'm like, no, you got 24 hours. Give me, give me a break. Um, I am happy to report that uh, I got to take a few days off as well and go home and spend time with my family and rest. Uh, in my family, rest is code for doing the honeydew list. And I'm sure that I have a, a number of fellow uh, checklist warriors in the room, right? Anybody else? Honeydew list over the holidays? Yeah, I see a few hands. You're brave, gentlemen. You're brave. Um, but if you have a copy of God's Word this morning, I would love to invite you to go to the book of Micah in the Old Testament and go to chapter 6. So uh, I'm, I'm kidding, but uh, I, I did have two lists to work through over the holidays, over the, the break there. I had, a, in our kitchen we have this whiteboard with all kinds of stuff on it and sure enough my wife had a list of things I had to do and I have a list of things I also have to do and you can guess which list got done first, right? Not mine, not mine, but I, I love lists. I, I'm not gonna lie, it's how I get things done. I have a list in the kitchen, actually two in the kitchen. I have a, a list on my phone. I have a list, actually two lists in my office, on my desk. Um, I, I, I probably have a list problem, but you know, it's okay. It, it helps me get through things. It helps me stay organized. And, and it's also satisfying, right? When you, you pull out the big fat Sharpie and you get to just erase that thing, right? You know, that, that satisfaction you get. Or in the whiteboard when you just wipe it off. It's gone forever until next Christmas. Um, it's, it's, it's satisfying. Now, no, what's complicated is if you're like me and you have multiple lists going. Right? When, when you have that list problem, and then, and then this list that you make for yourself and list that other people make for you, people you love, right? And people that love you, right? And, and, and then this list, you know, like at work, like, you know, Pastor Clay gives me things to do as well. And so I have a list from Pastor Clay occasionally. And, 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 and at, sometimes you just have to navigate the tensions between uh, what gets done first. What, what if two of these items are in conflict? How, how do I navigate this? And, and in the world we live in, to be honest, we, we already are so performance-driven, especially in our community. We want to get all these lists done yesterday, right? We, we want to make sure they get done, they get done right, and we get all the recognition we can possibly get for doing these lists, right? Now, like I said, if you're like me, we're, we're checklist warriors, but as you know, English is not my first language, and sometimes warriors sounds a lot like warriors. Because all these lists just cause so much anxiety. Now, we will see this morning in the Word of God, here in the book of Micah, how God addresses some different kinds of checklist warriors. He, he talks to his people, and, and you will see that, that there's a tension that sits with them as well, because they, they know things to do, but they have forgotten the heart behind it. It's kind of like having a, a shopping list of things to get from the grocery store, and, and you just have this long list of things. And, and gentlemen, if you're like me, I'm thankful my wife writes them in order of what aisle to walk through. But it would be totally miserable if I didn't know what to do with all these things. But I know I'm getting my shopping list, I'm getting these groceries to make a meal for my family so that we can be fed and we can have a good, good time together as a family. There's a purpose behind it. 
Well, what if God gives us things to do, but we forget the heart, the intent, the purpose behind it, and then we essentially just come home with bags full of stuff, and we just put it down, and we don't know what to do with it from there. That's what we read about in Micah chapter 6. So by now, I think I've bought you plenty of time to find this book, to find this chapter. Amen? I'm going to ask you guys, if you're able, if you would you just stand with me as we read from the Word of God. We will only read verse 8 together, but I would invite you to keep your Bibles open as we continue to study the Word of God. So from Micah chapter 6, verse 8 then. He, that being God, he has told you, mortal one, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's pray. Our Father, as we pause at the very end of this past year, as we pause on this Sunday, to just refocus our attention on you, God. I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from your word this morning, God, to hear the truths that you speak to us today. May we have the courage, God, to be confronted by these truths, knowing that they come from the heart of God and meant to bring transformation in our lives that we may grow in your likeness. I pray, Father, that you would set aside this time as a sacred time, God, where we open the Holy Word of God together. Lord, please speak now, for your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. I, I have read this passage for years and studied and thought about this passage for years, and I probably will do so for many, many, many more years. I love it. But it's so challenging, right? Um, I, I don't know how many of you are, are scholars of the book of Micah, but if you're not... You're welcome, if you're not. Uh, the book of Micah was actually written by, obviously, the prophet Micah about the same time as the prophets Isaiah and Hosea, speaking to the southern and northern kingdoms of the people of God. And, and in many ways, the, the, this book, this prophecy is, is articulated, is written almost like an ancient lawsuit, right? The, the chapters in this book are organized like an ancient lawsuit when God kind of talks to his, to his people and he brings to them the charges that he has against them, but also the correction that accompanies it. And so I think for us to really truly understand verse 8 better, it would be helpful for us to kind of just go back a little bit to the beginning of the same chapter. So if you still have your Bible open, just look with me very quickly. Uh, for instance, verse 1 and 2. The prophet says, hear now what the Lord is saying. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Listen, you mountains, to the indictment by the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth because the Lord has a case against his people and he will dispute with Israel. You see it clearly there how, how God is calling all of creation, all of, all of what was created to come and witness this moment where God is addressing his people which in itself is a deep and profound privilege, as difficult as it is, but where God is bringing his indictment, his accusation to his people, and he wants all of creation to witness this, because while all of creation was created first, man is the crown of creation, and therefore all creation ought to see what is taking place here. 
So he calls them to bear witness. Now, verse three, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Answer me. Basically, what God is saying is, what what is your excuse? What, What is the reason for your behavior? What have I done to wear you out? What have I done for you to blame me for your actions? Now, you... You, you, you may not have the full context, but it's, it's very much, you know, when, when, when you get in trouble, when you get called out for a behavior and you tend to do that, it's not my fault, it's his fault. Right? We, we, we all know what he's talking about. It's, it's kind of like Adam, if you remember the story. It's not me, God, it was Eve, it was her fault, she made me eat. He did it, we do it. And here we have God speaking to his people and they're doing the exact same thing except they're not saying, oh, God, it's not our fault. It's all these other people's fault. They say, God, it's your fault. It's too hard. So we go on, verse four and five. Indeed, I, God, brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. My people remember now what Balak, king of Moab, planned and what Balaam, son of Beor, answered him and what happened from Shem to Gilgal so that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. What is God doing here? He's he's reminding them of who he is and what he has done for them. He's taking them back to the very beginning of their story with him and just reminding them of the whole story. Folks, let's be honest, we do that too, right? When we kind of get in trouble, we get in the pickle, we, we kind of get so focused on the situation and we forget the big picture. God is like children. Come on now. Let, let's take a step back and let's look at the whole story. And maybe you should be reminded of who I am and what I have done for you forever, literally, forever. So we go on. Verse six and seven. With what shall I come to the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come to him with burnt offerings with yearling calves? Does the Lord take pleasure in thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give him my firstborn for my wrongdoings, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Now, there's a lot of sarcasm in in, in this couple of verses, okay? God is basically telling them that their religion, that the way they're trying to live out their faith is dissonant, it's empty, it's a bunch of rituals. Yes, they're doing a lot of the things that he has asked them to do, but evidently they're still missing the point because he, he, he almost makes this absurd by saying, okay, so if you have sinned, Should we bring a thousand rams for our sin? Should we use 10,000 rivers of oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn? But what God is doing here is is he's pointing to them the absurdity of their empty religion, of of just doing, doing the faith, but forgetting that it's a living faith. He's basically saying, do do you think so little of me that you think you can manipulate me and pretend to be good for me, do, do, do you really think that that's who I am? So he's causing attention in the text. He's causing attention in his accusation here. Because really what has happened so far is that the people have forgotten what it means to serve God truly. 
If we were to draw a parallel with us today, in many ways we could say, hey, it's good for you to go to church on Sundays, even on New Year's Eve, amen? On Christmas Eve, amen? Yes, it's good, but why? Oh, it's good for you to open your Bible and read the words, the letters on the pages. Yes, that's good, but why? Oh, it's good for you to talk to your children, your grandchildren about God and what God has done. That is great, but why? It's good for you to be a good and kind person, but why? It's good to do good things, but you still missed a point if you've forgotten the heartbeat behind it. And so God brings it home to them, and he says, you have forgotten what it means to serve me truly. This is a watered-down faith. And so we get to verse 8, the crux of the matter, where he says, look at it again with me, what is good and what is expected? What is required? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, don't miss the point that he's framing this verse at the very beginning. Look, look at how he's framing it, right? He says, he has told you. Have you ever had that conversation? Guys, I've told you a thousand times. Do you know what I'm talking about? He has told you. Mortal one. Let, let, let me paraphrase that for you. God is saying, you're a human being and I'm God. Don't confuse the two. Okay? You got that one. Good. Now, what is good? Not what is bad. Let's translate that. Not it bad. It's good. This is, this is good for you. This is good for society. This is good for the world you live in. This is good for those who don't know God. Okay? And what does God, Almighty, the Lord, require of you. Not, not encourage you to do, not, 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 not would really like for you to possibly maybe consider to put on your list to possibly maybe do one day. No. What does God require of you? To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, basically what God is saying, that, the, that the, if, if you want to sum up this verse, basically what God is say, saying is that walking with God consists not in, in hollow expressions or, or rituals of our faith, but in the proper expression of love, and that is justice, that is kindness, that is yearning for the presence of God. He's saying, yes, do all the good things, but understand the heart behind it. Understand the heart behind it. The right actions without the right heart is a whole lot like my singing, very off-key. And you have to decide, and the people of God have to decide if what they want to sing to the world out there is something that is on-key, melodious, and God-glorifying, or just a noise that is forgetful and forgettable. So what does that look like? Let's break it down real quick, if you would, with me. First, God encourages them to focus on, on their hearts and their minds on these three things, on doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. It's basically an action, an affection, and, and a posture. 
and action first. Do justice. Don't consider it. Don't dream about it. Don't put it on your checklist. Do justice. What, what is justice? To, to act justly, you know, the word used in the Hebrew here has so many layers of meaning to it. So, so many layers. And, and what it means basically is, is not just to act justly, to, to bring justice, it's, it's, it's to be the kind of person that lives out justly, both actively and reactively. It's the kind of person that exercises good judgment, good judgment of people, good judgment of events, good judgment of the world we live in, good judgment of, of the heart of God and knowing and understanding the heart of God. It's, it's about walking through life, not just aware of what needs to be done, but being the kind of person that actually does it. There are a whole lot of people who have a whole lot of opinions on social media with a remote in their hands, but are not willing to do anything about it. And the kind of attitude, the kind of person that God wants is the kind of person that walks with integrity, the kind of person that walks with character, the kind of person who's stepping out in courage, knowing that what they're doing flows from the heart of God. It's doing the right thing with regards to others. It's not just about being aware of things going on. It's actually doing something about it. Uh, Kristen Carr, our women's minister, loves to say that. I've heard her say quite a few times now, awareness is not doing. No, doing is doing. But you see, when, when, when we do justice, we don't do justice as a reaction to an injustice we saw. No, we want to be the kind of people that live out daily the kind of justice that we want to see done as well. We want to be able to walk with that uprightness, knowing that everything we do flows from the heart of God and points to the heart of God. That the way we treat people, the way we look at people, the way we look at the events going on in the world around us flows from the heart of God. But it also means we're going to react in a godly way. Time and time and time again throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God keeps encouraging his people to go back to doing justice. And every time, almost, he, he mentions justice as, as largely two or three things. Usually, he refers to taking care of those who are treated unjustly. And he refers specifically time and time again to the widows and to the orphans and to the foreigners, the outsiders among us. Now, we don't have to look up and to wonder where they are. We, we know that there are orphans in this world. We know that there are widows in this world. And we know that there are foreigners or outsiders in our communities and what God does not want us to do is to look up and nod our head and walk away. What God wants us to do is look up and step into those stories. That is doing justice, is doing something, not just being aware of it. Can I ask you, friend, do you look up and do you see the need for justice in this world? So I gotta ask you, what are you doing about it? Because we live in a world of confusion, a world where lots of people have lots of opinions about lots of things, amen? And you know what I like to say? Opinions are cheap. But the will of God is not. You see, the person that walks and that does justice, according to a Micah 6, 8 paradigm, is the kind of person that walks by one standard not the standards of those around him, but the standard of God. 
And that is how we want to step into the world and what we see. So an action, do justice, now an affection, a a love. He says, love, kindness. Have you ever noticed if you cook, do we have cooks in the the house today? Anybody cooks? There's two cooks. I think everybody else is going hungry today, y'all. All right, there's five hands at the end of the day. Have you ever noticed when you cook and you have to chop up onions? I know we've all done that a lot of times. You spend the rest of the day smelling onions everywhere, and eventually you realize because your hands reek of onions. In many ways, when, when, when Micah speaks of to love kindness, he is pointing to the reality that, 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 that the affections of our heart always transpire and flavor our actions. What you love will always, always, always affect what you do. Think about it. If you are so passionately in love with your wife or your husband, you'll do whatever it takes to spend as much time as possible with that person. Your affections affect your actions. If you love kindness, you will live out kindness. If you love kindness, you will live out kindness. The thing with kindness is that it's not easy. The the thing with kindness is that it requires a lot of practice. But the thing with kindness really honestly is this, is that kindness is not cheap. Kindness always costs us something. Kindness always costs us our, our pride because it means that sometimes it doesn't matter what I think and how I feel and if I'm right or not, what I need to do right now is just be kind and step into someone else's life and say, hey friend, I'm right here. Sometimes pride is the price to pay for being kind. Sometimes it's not just our pride, sometimes it's our self-righteousness. Is I know I'm right. You hear me? I'm right. And I will not do that. I will not stoop down. I will not go to that person because I'm right. We know what I'm talking about, right? But kindness is saying, I know I'm right. But it's besides the point because this person needs to be loved right now. Loving kindness begins with loving God. And, and, and I gotta ask you, what does it look like to, to love and to care for others? In the world we live in, I would suggest that perhaps the best thing you can do to start practicing kindness is to forgive. It's to forgive others, but also be kind to yourself, be gracious to yourself, forgive yourself as well. Do you know, Bitterness or, or pain is, 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 is not something that's very, very tasty, that's, that's, that, that, that's really bringing much pleasure. But it's so easy. And, and, and the reality is in our culture, in our day and age, folks, you, you and I know this, things are just changing so fast, the best thing we can do is just hold on to what we got. 
And it is really hard to be kind when you turn on the television or social media or the newspapers or you just talk to people and there are so many reasons not to be kind. So many. That there are so many times where we probably justified to not be kind because you know what? They truly did something absolutely idiotic. They, they, they brought it upon themselves. That is their choice, and now they're reaping for their choices, for their decisions. And, 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 and we want to, to just let them wallow in it. And, and, and the truth is, there's a lot of people that don't deserve our kindness. But might I remind you that we do not deserve God's kindness, not to one of us. And so loving kindness is looking directly at the heart of God and saying, how could it possibly be that God is so kind to me in spite of the total knucklehead that I am? Well, I want to be more like God. I don't know about y'all. There are so many reasons to be unkind to others. And there are so many times where we could be unkind to others and get a lot of people's approval. Except God's. But how about we be the kind of people that love kindness and show the kind of character that, that always moves and walks along the ways of God, showing that our behaviors and our actions can point to God. And, and, and then maybe loving kindness can also be an encouragement for us to move behind those things that we feel entitled to. Well, I feel entitled to be justified and being vindicated. I feel entitled to getting this or that. I feel entitled to these behaviors and those actions, to these rewards and those rewards. No, being kind is saying, it doesn't matter. These are yours. The theologian Don Carson, some of you may know, he wrote this famously about kindness. He said, a Christianity where believers are not patient and kind, a Christianity where believers are characterized by envy and are proud and boastful, rude, easily angered and keep record of wrongs is no Christianity at all. That'll get you thinking, I think. But let's move on to the posture. After the action and <clears throat> after the affection, let's move on to the posture. The third thing Micah mentions is to walk humbly with your God. To walk humbly with your God. What what Micah is describing is a posture, is is a disposition, it's a leaning into, it's a bending into, it's it's kind of like the the plants on my windowsill in my office there. They're growing into the sunlight. They're growing towards where they get warmth and when they get sunshine because that is where life comes from. This, this walking humbly with God is, is being people that, that, that lean in naturally toward God daily because that is where life, that is where hope, that's where kindness comes from. It's life-giving. It's, it's a lot like what John writes about in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. He says, abide in, in Christ over and over again. Abiding. This is about being before doing. This is about who you are in the presence of God, defined by the presence of God, before you even think of what you should do flowing from the presence of God. 
And this is also not saying, walk humbly with the Lord, then don't. And do whatever you want. This is no, as you walk humbly with the Lord, do justice, love kindness, and lean into him more and more and more. The truth is that for us to understand what God wants us to do, we must know God. And the kind of faithfulness that he requires of us is a healthy perspective of just who God is and who we are. To have that daily constant reminder that he is God and we're the mortal ones. That he is the creator and we're his creation. That he is the author of life and grace and we are not. We're the recipients of it. It's a good reminder for us to walk every day in his grace, fully, fully thankful for who he is. And we take in his presence as we walk with him. And we walk under his authority and we walk for his glory and we sit there and it is enough for us. That is the kind of posture we're called to. A posture of trust. A posture of rest. A posture of a yielding availability. So that was an action. An affection. And a posture. And we could stop here, but I do want to point out something to you that all three of these have in common. There's a common denominator with all three of these. And is that all three of these actions, all three of these things that Malcolm mentions, all three of them imply choosing the path of most resistance. Not one of these come easy to any one of us. I mean, think about a river, right? Uh, I think it would be safe to say we've all seen a river in our life. Maybe, I think we have a picture even of a river here. Uh, Maybe it's a river like this, a beautiful stream. You know, a river usually flows downhill. It takes on the path of least resistance, and it slowly erodes the things that come in its way, and it makes its way downhill, eventually leading to the ocean. Well, walking with God, walking in the ways of God, is not being a river. Folks, I don't know if anybody's ever told you this in church, but you're not a river. You can write that one down. I'm not a river. You're not a river. You and I are not rivers. The pursuit of a godly life, walking faithfully in the ways of Jesus, is not a downhill flow, taking the path of least resistance and slowly eroding whatever it is that slows us down. Walking with Jesus is not serving ourselves and seeking out the easiest, lowest possible bar that we can possibly take to think that we're approved by God. Walking with God is not doing whatever makes us feel good about ourselves and doing whatever is self-righteous. No, rather, walking with God is a counterintuitive push against the selfish self-serving, self-loving humanity that is our nature with the help of God. Let me rephrase that for you. Walking with God and walking for God makes no sense at all if it weren't for the help of God as you did that. Pushing back against your own selfishness and self-loving nature makes no sense at all in the world we live in especially if it weren't for the transformation that the Holy Spirit has brought in you because of Jesus Christ. 
Everything we're talking about, doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with God, all three of these imply you choosing daily to get up and walk upstream and pushing against the savage onslaughts of the world and the culture and the evil and the brokenness of this world for the glory of God and with his help. It is hard, y'all, but you're not alone. It is hard because daily you choose to put yourself aside and choose to put your own wants and desires aside and do whatever serves you and puts you forth and puts you first aside and you step forward because you want to be closer to the source of all good things, which is God. You push forward. And this is not something reserved to Micah 6, 8, for goodness sake. In the New Testament, Jesus teaches this time and time again. Look at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Jesus teaches about the Beatitudes. He's basically saying, here's what it looks like to live as a child of the kingdom of God. And tell me if these things sound like they're downstream, easy go with the flow, path of least resistance, or upstream, path of most resistance. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Any volunteers? Uh, blessed are those who mourn. And yet, loves mourning? No hands? Uh, blessed are the meek. No. Nah. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Eh, maybe. Blessed are the merciful. We don't want to do that. Blessed are the pure in heart. Eh. Blessed are the peacemakers. Anybody here love confrontation and making peace? Not many hands, yeah. Uh, blessed are those who suffer persecution for righteousness' sake. No, no, all of these push upstream and instead Jesus says the reward for these things is this, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They shall be comforted. They shall inherit the earth. They shall be satisfied. They shall obtain mercy. They shall see God. They shall be called children of God and they will be in the kingdom of God. Later on, Jesus speaks in the same gospel, gospel of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 23. It almost echoes Micah 6, 8. He talks to the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the doers. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. In other words, they tithe, okay? You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. It's one thing to have a checklist of things to do. But if you miss the heart behind it, you just come home with a bunch of grocery bags that you put down and walk away. If we want to be the kind of people that do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God, we probably should be the kind of people that instead want to follow the lead of Christ and raise the bar daily and point straight at the heart of God for and with our lives. Might I remind you of the very example of Jesus. Here's the Son of God coming down. Look at Philippians chapter two. Son of the God incarnate, taking humanity, becoming fully human. That's a step down. That's not a step up. Suffering pain, loss, grief. That's a big step down. That's not a step up. 
being limited in his power in that sense. It's a step down, it's not a step up. Experiencing betrayal and rejection on a very regular basis, it's a step down, it's not a step up. Having one of his best friends, Judas, one of his disciples, one of his inner circle betray him and reject him, that's a big step down, that's not a step up. Having even closer that Peter, one of his closest friends, deny him multiple times, it's a big step down, it's not a step up. Being judged by the people who just acclaimed him a few days earlier is a big step down, it's not a step up. Being crucified, executed, like the lowest of criminals, while being innocent is a massive step down, it's not a step up. And yet he still chose to do that for you and for me. That is a step down, it's not a step up. But then he was resuscitated. Then he came back to life, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, and that is a big step up. Amen? We are called as people of God to walk in the ways of God. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's countercultural. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it will cost us, but it is worth it because we're walking humbly with our God. If you're walking humbly with God, you know the heart of God, you know who God is, you will be reminded time and time again that it is worth it. It is worth it to stand up for what is right. And we have lots of opportunities. Parents, as you disciple and as you raise your children, how are you living? Are you living in this way? Or whatever way the world is trying to tell you to do it. Grandparents, as you're discipling your kids and your grandkids, how are you doing it? Folks, here's a difficult one. We're coming up on an election year, a big election cycle. Do you think that it's an opportunity for kindness? Yeah, it is. So watch how you talk. Watch what you do on social media, please. But don't just do it for doing its sake. Doing because of who you are in Christ. So what's next? What do we do now? Well, we do whatever it takes. But now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you three quick things. First, we look up. First thing you can do is look up. As lean into the fullness of God. Lean into his justice. Lean into his grace and his mercy. That's all you need. Begin there. Then we look in. We pray for conviction and courage to do what is good and godly. We acknowledge that we cannot do this by ourselves or on ourselves, but we need God's help. And we have a helper. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have a helper. And then thirdly, we look around. And we have the courage and the strength to do justice and to foster kindness. Because that's we are as people who walk humbly with God. There's an old prayer that some of you may know. And I will close with this. It says, God, I pray for a tender heart. Because sometimes we are too, hearted, too hard-hearted to recognize when we have been uncaring, unfeeling, or unkind. God, I pray for the ability to view life from the dust. Because all our lives we have been taught to make others proud, to be proud of ourselves, to hold our heads high, all the while missing the virtues of being poor in spirit. So here we are about to step into 2024 
goodness, how many of us knew we'd even get to 2024? But we get to. And my prayer for you is that you will be the kind of people that hear and heed the words of Micah 6, 8. The kind of people who are reminded that we are mortals and we're not God, but the kind of people who do justice. The kind of people who love kindness. But really the kind of people that walk humbly with our God. Amen? Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you, God, for who you are. And we pray, Lord, that you would remind us daily of who you are. That you would reset our hearts and our eyes, Father, to look up. And Father, to just be aware of who you are and to grow, Lord, in our knowledge and understanding, our love and our passion for you. And I pray, God, that you would convict us, Father, of the sin of omission. The sin, Father, of seeing what needs to be done and not doing it. God, may you forgive us. And may you give us the strength and the courage, God, the boldness to step into this world, Lord. To live as people of the truth. To live as people, Lord, who are sent by you to share with this world of who Jesus is, God, and the hope that we have in you. And I pray, God, that you would just constantly draw us closer to you. That you would cultivate in us, Father, kind hearts that live out kindness in a world that is desperate for kindness. May we be a kind of people that is merciful and gracious because of this who our God is. Amen.